Well, amen. I want to say, uh, I want to start this week by saying um, thank you. Uh, last week after the uh, service, and um, uh, as normal, invited people to come down if they had any questions, and, and let's chat and, and talk about things. And uh, a friend of mine, a, a gentleman that I knew, he had brought a, a friend with him here who uh, was not a believer in God, and actually he was an atheist. I mean, we, we had a long conversation after the service, and and uh, he asked me some questions, and I asked him some questions, and um, we had a, a great dialogue. And, and, I, and, and I, I believe because of you, I was able to challenge, and challenge him in some areas and some questions. And because of this, the thing he couldn't get past was how warm and welcoming and friendly and, and receiving you were towards him. You didn't know him. You didn't know what his beliefs were. You didn't know why he was here, what he was thinking and coming here. And yet you treated him kindly and warmly, and, and he couldn't get over that, and that impacted him. It impacted the, the gentleman that, that brought him. And, and I was reminded of why we gather, why we come. I'm wondering if there's something going on. Maybe like nobody wants to sit on this side of the sanctuary, but uh, anyway, that's, that's, that's my attention issues. Pray for me. Speaking of prayer, pray for Chris. Probably need to pray for Karen. Exactly. Pray for Karen, but... I was reminded of why we meet. So, so oftentimes we gather here for, for consumer reasons, for selfish reasons. We, we come saying, what is there about me? What am I going to get out of it? The, the message didn't speak to me, didn't have anything to do with me. And the reality is on that Sunday, God had a word for an individual who hated him, who hated God, who wanted to do nothing with God. And yet he showed up here, and we treated him warmly. The message was exactly, in his own words, exactly what he needed to hear. And it just reminded me that we gather for one another. We don't gather necessarily for, for selfish reasons. We, we gather for one another. And that ought to be enough. That ought to be why we come. To make much of God. He saw that we do love the God that we profess that we love, and that impacted him. And it gave him even more questions. And, and this message, you may come here today, and you may think, well, I'm the world's greatest prayer. Okay. But there are people here today that need to hear what God's Word has to say. And God's, God in His greatness leads each week for me to say the things that I say, not because I want to say them, because that's what His Word says, and that's what we need to hear. And as we preach through Deuteronomy, we come to a section here, and Moses is praying, and there is a lot to learn on prayer. I think we would all confess that, if we were honest, that this is probably one of the disciplines of the Christian life that we probably struggle with the most. I think if we rated ourselves and we were actually honest about our prayer life, we would probably rate this area poorly. Or we would say that most of our prayers revolve around very selfish, fleshly, earthly-centered things. And so I want to stop here for a moment and spend a couple of weeks in, in Deuteronomy 9, uh, 25 and following here and, and kind of give us a theology of prayer, a theology of prayer. And the beauty is this is where the text has taken me. This is not something that I... I'm not just preaching it because I want to preach it. I'm preaching it because that's where Deuteronomy 9.25 takes us. 
And that's the beauty of preaching through the Word. You can cover a lot of subjects and nobody has to think, well, pastor must be struggling with prayer or must feel like the church. No, just where the text has us. That's where the text has us. I'll be the first to tell you I'm not preaching this from, a, from the standpoint of having an accomplishment in this area or having a foothold on this area. I'm, I'm really one beggar telling other beggars where to find food this is the reality. I'm sharing with you what, what God is working on me with. And I do believe that prayer is one of those areas that I desperately want to thrive in and I want this church to thrive in because there's power there. There's great weakness where it's absent. But we need to be knowledgeable first. We need to understand a little bit about it first. And so setting the stage just to remind us of where, where we are in Deuteronomy 9.25, Moses has met with God. Think about this, one-on-one, glorious fellowship with God on top of the mountain. Special time. And, and out of nowhere, the mood changes. Fellowship with God has been interrupted by sin of Israel. Moses is, is, is with God. God is giving him the Ten Commandments. And just like that, he says, get out off the mountain. Your, your people are sinning. And while Moses is meeting with God as their leader, while he is receiving God's direction from them and, and in God's grace, the Ten Commandments, his people are at the bottom of the mountain making a golden calf. They're making an idol to worship. And you can, only, you can only imagine what must have been going through Moses' mind at this moment. To have that fellowship, intimacy with God interrupted by this people that he's to lead and this gross sin that they're committing. Having gone from commune with God one-on-one to having to go down and deal with this people who have made a golden calf and are worshiping an idol to take those tablets that God had inscribed these commandments on and just smash them. Think about that. This is a time in Moses' leadership in his life where he would need every single ounce of God's strength like never before. This would trump the times when he led them and they mumbled. This would trump the times that he led them and they complained. All of that would be, would be minuscule compared to this. And, and this would certainly be his severest trial as a leader. And how would he respond? And, and that's really the first lesson here regarding prayer. And the first lesson that we learn about prayer is how did Moses respond? Look at verse 25. Moses' first response to trouble was to seek the Lord in prayer. It was his first response. Look at verse 25. So I fell down before the Lord the 40 days and nights which I did because the Lord had said He would destroy you. What, what, would, what would cause a person to face a trial this way? That prayer would be the very first thing he turned to. I mean, can you honestly say that's how you face your trials? Something comes up in life and the very first thing you do is pray about it? And undoubtedly, Moses was a man who was committed to prayer. That's how he would respond the way that he responded. This was normal for him. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. I I think Moses did that. This is the response of a man who continually prayed. And listen to me. What we do when troubles strike 
tell us about who we are. We do what's natural. We do what we trust in. If Moses was a worrier, guess what he would have done right now? He'd worry. If Moses was a fixer, you know what he would have done? He'd have been running around seeing how he could fix things. He'd be manipulating things. If Moses was a gossiper, guess what he'd do right now? He'd gossip. If, if Moses was a person who trusted in other people, guess what he would have done? He'd have been on the horn calling all his friends, trying to figure out how to fix it. He'd have been consulting them rather than the Lord. Why? Because that's what he trusted in. If Moses was a doubter, you'd have seen him just overwhelmed, falling on his face, just, just overwhelmed by this thing and just biting his teeth off, like his, his teeth off, biting his fingernails off, like, like Chris Basham does watching a Florida State game half the time. What, what we don't see is what most of us do. Run, you don't see a man running down the mountain with his hair on fire, worrying, fixing, telling others, gathering the troops, speculating, gossiping, none of that. In the face of horrible news, in the face of great sin, in the, grace of, in the face of really life-altering sin for Moses in many ways, you know what Moses did? He prayed. He fell down on his face before the Lord and he prayed. And what we learn from Moses is when we habitually pray, we will habitually pray. When troubles come, we will do exactly what we trust in the most. We will do what our flesh tells us to do the most. If we worry, we worry. If we doubt, we doubt. If we got whatever it is, but if you pray, you'll pray. And troubles reveal our tendencies. We, we saw it a couple of weeks back in Deuteronomy 8 2. God sometimes will test, our, test us to reveal what's in our heart. Not that He doesn't know what's in our heart, it's because you don't know what's in your heart. And I don't know what's in our heart. And God uses these things in our lives to tell us what we're trusting in, what our tendencies are, where our heart is. And, and, and the other thing is when we, when we habitually pray, we'll know what to pray when these times come. Moses' first response was to fall down before the Lord and pray. And that ought to be ours as well, to pray. The reality is in the world we live in, most of us, if we're honest, You'd say, has it come to that? Has it come to that? You've got to fall down on your face and pray. It's come to that. You've exhausted every other means of it. Pray? Pray first. The response is prayer. Our first response when we face troubles ought to be prayer, to seek the Lord in prayer. Secondly, that, so as we, this is the theology. Again, theology of prayer. We're going to put these pieces together, and we're going to build again on this foundation next week. The first, our first response to life's troubles and things like that ought to be prayed. But, but here's the question, why don't we? That's what I want to get to here. Why don't we? And we, we, we learn from Moses and others this second point. When we truly love someone, nothing will hinder our desire to pray for them. When we truly love them. You ever notice how when things come up big in life that you know you can't handle and you'd be a fool to even think you can handle it? you got no problem praying. I remember sitting at, I, I can think of it right now, I was sitting at St. Joe's North having lunch with Scott Neiman and Dr. Inns when Karen called me to tell me that Sarah Grace had fallen out of the grocery cart 
and she had a fractured skull and breathing on the blank. And she's all. I can still remember right now. I had listen to me. I had no trouble praying. I had no. I had. That's the only thing I could do. This is my daughter. I mean, I can remember driving her to the. We went to the the, the clinic and they just looked at her and said, "You got to get her to the ER right now." I remember driving and her head is just bobbing in the car seat. And I'm literally thinking, my daughter's going to die right here in the car. Right, right, I'm driving. I can't do anything but pray. You know why prayer wasn't a problem? Because I love my daughter. I can't imagine living life without my daughter. I couldn't fix it. There's nothing I could do. Guess what? I prayed. And guess what? I got, got other people to pray. And when we, we have no problem praying when we know we can't fix it. Or when the object that needs prayer is treasured by us, is more valuable to us than other things. All, all I wanted in that time was, Lord, fix this. And again, it, it may not have been as bad as I would have thought it was at the time, but when you see your daughter or your child going through that, you're, a lot of things flash in your mind. And, and my prayer probably was mixed with some doubts and some worry and some other stuff because I'm, I'm feeble. But I was willing to pray. And I was ready to pray. And what Moses teaches us here and what I want to draw from from Moses is there are things that hinder our willingness to pray. I want us to be real honest. There are things that hinder our willingness to pray. And I want to look at these within, within this subset of, of, of the second point, the things that nothing will hinder our, our prayers. There are some things that hinder our willingness to pray. And the first thing is this, a lack of love hinders our willingness to pray. A lack of love will hinder our willingness to pray. If you don't care, you won't pray. Just bottom line, let's be honest, get it out on the table. Part of the reason why we don't pray is because we don't care the way we should. And it might be a lack of the love for the person who needs prayer that is lacking, that causes us not to pray. It might be a lack of the God for whom we serve that causes us not be willing to pray. See, Moses cared deeply for Israel, and as a result, there was bold praying. So much so that Moses here, and you can go to Exodus to see some more details here, but Moses refuses to take no for an answer. Can you imagine standing before God and refusing to take no for an answer, refusing to accept his answer? That's Moses here. Why? Because he loved Israel. But not only that, he had a great love for Israel. He had a great love for God. And we'll see here, ultimately, Moses' prayers surrounded or or. or are hinged on his love for God more than anything. He did not want God's character or testimony or anything to be hindered, and he prayed deeply. It's a, it's a love can hinder our prayers. But love is not the only thing that will hinder our prayers, but it's foundational, but it's not the only thing. I, I think sometimes the greatness of sin may hinder our willingness to pray. The greatness of sin... What, what Israel was accused of here was no th- small thing. Look at nine, chapter 9, look at verse 12 and, and 13 to get the backstory. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, th- go down 
here from here quickly for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made a molten image for themselves. The Lord spoke further to me, saying, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stubborn people. Strong language. Strong language. This was a serious sin. Now, in our day, I mean, making a, we don't want to capture that, I don't know, because I, I doubt many of you are going to go home today to, 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 to work out a golden calf and... You probably don't have a calf in the middle of your living room and, and you're worshiping it, but it was idolatry. We're, we're more slick than that. But, but their idolatry undoubtedly would have affected Moses greatly as a leader. It would have been embarrassing. It could have been overwhelming. From a human standpoint, a sin that gross, and God is making these statements, Moses could have easily just said, there is no need to pray. They, they've gone off the deep end. They're, they're doing their thing. There's not, God has given the verdict. The, the Lord undoubtedly is warranted in what he's going to do. And, and Moses could have said, look, look, this is, do whatever. It's very possible, even as I say this, that some of us in here have been sinned against or, or we're aware of someone's sin that has brought us to the spot where we are, and, and if we were honest, we're just not willing to pray for that person. Or at best, we're hesitant to pray for that person because of their sin. I've been there. Some of you are probably there. The person, the person sinned willingly, seemingly without caring, they were talked to, they were encouraged, they were confronted to turn away, they knew better, and they just went on and, and did it anyway. Brought on huge consequences for not only themselves, but for everyone around. Just seemingly, they just, they just did it so willingly, without, without even caring. And you know what happens in those situations? We refuse to pray for that person. We're just not willing to pray. That, that's where Moses is. You know what Moses says? Regardless of the weight of the person's sin, we pray. And you say, how? Tell me how, Chris. How can we pray when sin is so great, when, when it's hard to separate the person and the sin, because that, that's really where they are and, and really who they are, and when you think about them, that's what they think about. Listen to this. Moses shifted his attention off the sin and onto the greatness of the character of God. He took his attention off the sin and on to the character of God. And we need to do this. When we focus on sin, it will discourage prayer. Trust me. You focus on the person's sin, you will not want to pray. An overwhelmed feeling, and emo especially when that sin was against you, and, and you're suffering the consequences, you feel crushed by the weight of it. But when we focus on the character of God, there's hope. When we focus on the character of God, it, it brings life to our prayers. Don't focus on the sin. Focus on the character of God. And you'll be more willing to pray. The third thing that hinders our prayers is the greatness of God's wrath may hinder our willingness to pray. The greatness of God's wrath may hinder our willingness to pray. Look at verse 14. Look at what God says. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make you a nation mightier and greater than they. I don't know about you, but if the Lord said that to me, I might say, all right, verdict's in, head to the house. This is a done deal. 
Sounds like, sounds like you've made up your mind. I mean, think about it. Ask yourself the question, should we pray for somebody who, to whom God is justly angry? Should we? Should, should I get in the way? Would I, should I dare intercede and interfere with what God's going to do? I mean, if God's angry and he's given the verdict, shouldn't we just let God do what he's going to do? The question becomes this. Every single one of you who are a believer in Jesus Christ, I guarantee you somebody prayed for you while you were unsaved. And God was justly angry with you. And his anger was rightly placed because of your sin. And yet, many of us in here, it would be your testimony that you know of a person that prayed for you long and hard before you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if we'll do that for somebody who's lost, should we not do that for a brother and sister in Christ? Should we not more willing, be more willing to do that for a brother and sister in Christ? And, and God literally says here, leave me alone so that I can destroy them. And yet Moses says, I will not leave you alone, God. And, and, and we who truly love the Lord and love people, we will not rest until he saves men. We will not rest. Even, even when it seems God is saying, leave me alone. Listen to me, don't let him alone. Keep going after in prayer. Be, be like the persistent widow in Luke 18 who would not leave the judge alone until he granted her request. Pray. Pray. Eventually, the wicked judge granted the woman's request. Why? Because of her persistence. Persistence. And I don't, I don't want you to understand the principle of what he's teaching there is go to God in prayer. That's what he's teaching. If that wicked judge was willing to do that, how much more would a great God, who is not wicked, be willing to answer your request? God might be testing and trying you to see whether you really mean what you mean in prayer. How many of us have really thought we wanted something diligently and you prayed for it about two times and then you forgot about it? You know what? You know what God's telling you in that case? That really wasn't what you wanted. It was fleeting. Because I guarantee you, if you really wanted it, you'd persist. You'd persist. I'm there. And, and Moses' heart is revealed here. He is desperate that God do something for these Israelites. And God's delays may be increasing your faith. Not only revealing your heart, but increasing your faith. And listen to me, sometimes God's pauses and delays are intended by the Lord to be the test of the patience, the perseverance, the confidence, the faith, and the self-denying love of the one praying. Of the one praying. We saw that in Deuteronomy 2. We also see this in John 11 uh, regarding God's delays, Christ's delays, with, specifically with Lazarus. Uh, don't turn, but John 11, verse 14 and 15. They've come, to, they've come to Jesus. Lazarus is sick. He's dying. And Jesus intentionally delays for days and doesn't go to Lazarus' bedside for days. And look at, look at what down in verse 14. Uh, uh, or listen, John eleven fourteen. So Jesus said to them, Plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let's go to him. He was growing their faith. He's going to grow their faith. It was for their sakes. Why did he delay? It was for their sakes, to increase their faith that they would believe. And the issue is love. 
Great love, great love dares to pray even in the face of an angry God. Great love will pray. It dares to plead with Him, to, to even ask, why are you so angry? Even when you know the reason. Even when it's right. Great love and faith when joined together bring a, bring a really a holy daring to the hearts of God's people. That they would go into the presence of the King of Kings, that they would cast themselves upon Him and say this, spare your people. Spare your people. Have mercy on the one with whom you are rightly angry. That's great love. Don't let God's wrath keep you from praying. Don't let God's verdict keep you from praying. Don't, don't, don't let these things prevent you from praying. Also, here's another thing that hinders our willingness to pray. The greatness of our wrath, not the greatness of God's wrath, the greatness of our wrath, may hinder our willingness to pray. This is probably where the buck really stops. Not, not on God's wrath, because we probably don't understand our wrath. It, it don't even get past our wrath. God doesn't need to be wrathful. Why? Because we got enough wrath stored up for this person on our own. And this is where it hits closest to home. And not only that, Moses' history with the Israelites would have given him all the reason to say, man, I'm done with these folk. I'm out. Let's start over. Bad history. We've seen it in Deuteronomy, and we'll see it. He, he, he essentially, in some ways, blames them for, not entering the, for him not entering the promised land. Based on their history of grumbling and complaining, Moses could have easily had, go get them, God. Go get them. Go after those boys. You're right, God, absolutely. You go get them. You tear how terrible they are. Burden off my back. We know the others are sinners. We've seen it. We've been a victim of it. Pride starts to kick in. But look at 9.15. Look at 9.15 through 21. First of all, so I turned and came down from the mountain while the mountain was burning with fire and the two tablets of the covenants were in my two hands. And I saw that you had indeed sinned against the Lord your God. You had made for yourselves a molten calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way of the Lord which he had commanded you. I took hold of the two tablets and I threw them from my hands and smashed them before your eyes. I fell down before the Lord as at the first 40 days and nights. I ate neither bread nor drank water because of all your sin which you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and was hot displeasure with which the Lord was wrathful against you in order to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me that time also. The Lord was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him, so I also prayed for Aaron at that same time. I took your sinful thing, the calf which you had made, and burned it with fire and crushed it, grinding it until it was very small, fine as dust, and I threw its dust into the brook that came down from the mountain. Moses destroys the tablets. He, he, he fasts for 40 days. He crushes the, the calf, grinds it into small pieces, yet he prays for the people. Yet in all that anger, all that wrath, all that fury, guess what he does? He prays for the very people that have done this. He prays for them. And what Moses is teaching us is that never let your hatred and anger of sin prevent your prayers for with whom the one you're angry. Never let your hatred and anger about sin prevent you from praying for the one with whom you're angry. Look with me. This is not just an Old Testament thing. Look with me at Romans 12. Paul is very clear. Same point in Romans 12, verse 14 through 20. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. 
Do not be wise in your own estimation. Listen, verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Look at Matthew 5, verse 44. Even, even stronger language here. In, in Matthew 5, verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and what? Pray for those who persecute you. Not only do good to them, pray for them. Ask God to do good to them. That's even harder. Rather than me just doing good to them, ask God to do good to them. And the truth is this, pray for those who persecute you. And that's exactly what Moses did. Pray for those who brought trouble. And, and the more I thought about that, hear me, I have fallen so short of that, I could name people right now that I would fall short of that. And only, only true love will accomplish this in us. This is utterly, utterly not natural. Nothing in my flesh is going to accomplish this on its own. And, and Moses focuses on who they were, not what they did. Big difference. He focuses here on who they were, not what they did. He reminds them, this is your covenant people. He says, I pray to the Lord, O Lord, do not destroy your people. Your people, verse 26. You know, he's saying, these are your people. This is, they're redeemable. I, I, they are redeemable. They are yours. There, there's always something redeemable in a person. There's always something that you can grab hold of in a person and, and pray for them. Nobody is that bad and nobody's that good. I, 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 I tell people, I don't like the word, all. you always do this, you never do that. Guess what? I'm, never that ba- I'm not that bad and I'm not that good. I don't always do anything good or bad, and I never do anything good or bad. I'm not that perfect either way. There was, there's something redemptive. And Moses says, I'm going to grab hold of the fact that they're God's covenant people, and I'm going to pray for them. That's redeemable. And not only that, listen to me, look at verse 14. The thing that strikes me here is that Moses pursued God on their behalf, even against his own personal interest. God says, let me alone, Moses, that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. Why? And I will make you, I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. You know what he's saying? Hey, you'll be, you'll be just like Abraham. Out of you, I'm going to form, I'll form, form a new great nation. If Moses was interested in anything but the glory of God, he'd have taken him up on that offer. Get rid of all these knuckleheads and let's just start over. That's a good idea. I like that idea, God. And that's a God. That's God's will. God's will. Sorry. Can't do anything about it. You know, I'd, I'd pray for you and all, but God's will is clear and just going to make me a great nation. I don't know. Oh, eh. No, no, no. Moses said, no, 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 no. You're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. This was the opportunity of opportunities. Make Moses great. And yet Moses did not budge. He still prayed for the people. And guess what? He's revealing what's in his heart. Moses wasn't doing this for Moses. Moses was doing this for God. 
And, and the, thing, the things that hinder our willingness to pray for others tell others about the character of the God we serve, and they tell about our own character. Whatever it is that hinders your willingness to pray for somebody, you're telling them, you're telling the world about the character of your God. Not only that, you're telling others about your own character and my own character. And, and what, what do you think about this great God that we serve? What do you think about Him? What's He like? Not only that, what's in our heart as believers? That, 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 that which hinders our prayers, we're, we're showing, and God in His grace is showing us what's really in our heart and what we really desire. Moses, do you want to honor me, or do you just want to be great? Here's your chance. No, Lord, I want to honor you. All right. Moses, do you want, you want your name to be made great, and do you want your name to be remembered, or do you want my name to be remembered? Lord, I want your name to be remembered. All right. Here's your chance. And maybe it's your spouse, maybe your former spouse, maybe your kids have done things that have brought great embarrassment to you, people at work, friends at school, people in the neighborhood. This is very applicable. Do, ask yourself, do you even want to pray for them? First, do you even want to pray for them? That's what the Lord was asking me this last week as I was working on this. Chris, you don't even want to pray for some people sometimes. You don't even want to. And not just, and again, Chris, do you love them? Not just, not just any love, but do you love them the way that God loves them? Do you love them the way that God loves them? Chris, how, how big a God, how good a God do you think I am? You, you really at your core think I only love the lovable? You do that, Chris, but I, see, God says, I'm not like that, Chris. I don't only love the lovable. He doesn't only love, and thankfully so, because I would have never received his love if he only loved the lovable. And, and again, he reminded me that, Chris, these people that have hurt you, their hurt towards you will never compare to your hurt toward me. And yet I was willing to forgive you. Yet I was willing to blot it out at the cost of my own son. What's in our heart? And maybe the first thing that we need to pray is this. Lord, teach me to love, fill in the blank, and help me to love them as you love them. That might be the first place to start. Lord, teach me to love, fill in the blank. Lord, by your grace, help me to love such and such the way that you love such and such. That might be where we have to start. But don't let these things hinder our willingness to pray. Don't let them hinder our willingness to pray. Satan will fight, and our flesh will fight, and our feelings and all that will fight, to justify ourselves and not praying. And God says, fight through it and pray. Fight through it and pray. Thirdly thing we learn here about prayer is this. Effective praying must be centered upon God's word. Look at 9, 26 through 29. I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, do not destroy your people, even your inheritance, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look at the stubbornness of this people or at their wickedness of sin. Again, character versus the people. Don't look at the people. Otherwise, the land from which you brought us may say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land which he had promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to slay them in the wilderness. Yet they are your people, even your inheritance, whom you have brought out by your great power and your outstretched arm. You know what Moses is doing here in his prayer? He's appealing to God's word. He's appealing to God's character. He's saying, Lord, you, you, you gave them your word. 
You told them you would do this. He's saying, Lord, you're a promise keeper, and I know you're a promise keeper, and I'm going back to your word, and I'm praying your word. I mean, all throughout this prayer, guess what, Moses? Moses' Moses prayer is not centered on Moses. It's centered on God. I mean, look at how many times you see your. Your, 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 you. Moses' prayer is centered upon God and his word. And even in verse 28, the reputation of God is what he's concerned of. This is not about Moses. And listen to me, there's no pleading with God like reminding him of his covenant. You want to pray boldly? Get hold of a promise of God? And you can pray with great boldness because God is a promise keeper. And if we're honest, most of our prayers don't center around a promise of God. They center around fleshly things, temporal things, earthly things. Moses, Moses knew the Lord will not go back on His word, and He promised. Same thing that John says, records in John 14, a great passage talking about prayer and our, and our boldness with prayer. John 14, verse 13 and, and 14. Look at what the Lord says. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. You know what you're doing? You're going back and saying, not from from my glory, God, but your glory. Not, Not my will, your will. You've said this is what you desire, Lord. Your will be done in my life. I promise you, you can pray those prayers with great boldness. Great boldness. You pray in the name of Christ to his glory, it'll be answered. Jesus said it himself. Whatever you ask in my name, it'll be done. Moses was seeking the glory of God and not his own glory through his prayers. And guess what? God answered him. So we have to ask ourselves, what what comprises our prayers? What, What are our prayers centered around mostly? Again, are they worldly? Are they temporal? And lastly is this. Lastly is this, well not lastly, there's one more, but when we trust, we must trust, in the end, we've got to trust in the sovereignty of God. In the end, we have to trust in the sovereignty of God. Look at 929. Yet they are your people, even your inheritance, whom you have brought out of the, by your great power and your outstretched arm. In the, in the account of this in Exodus 33, God says, I'll be merciful to who I have mercy and I'll be gracious to whomever I choose. Ultimately, ultimately, God is sovereign. And we have to trust that. God, you are sovereign. You're powerful. And, and those, that is the area where we struggle, I think, a lot of times the most with praying. Because we can't get past how is God sovereign and in control of everything, and yet he asks me to pray. That, we, we have a hard time getting by that. And what Moses is teaching us here is because of God's character, let us never be afraid of pleading with God. Let us never be afraid of pleading with God. He will never count it against us if we pray for sinners, if we pray for those who have hurt us. That's his desire. In Exodus 33, he reminds, he reminds Moses, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. In 2 Peter 3.9, it reminds us God's desire is that all men would be saved, that none would perish. That would be his desire. Yet, we're responsible. 
And the character of God is infinitely gracious. Hear me, God's sovereignty should never hinder our prayers. The reality is that God's sovereignty should fuel our prayers. It should invite us to pray to Him with confidence and great courage. Why? Because He's sovereign. And so oftentimes I hear people say, prayer changes nothing. If, if God's sovereign, then, then, then why pray? I, I've even battled with that. Why pray? I mean, God, Ephesians 1.11, God works all things to the counsel of His will. I mean, He's going to bring things to completion. Why pray? Because God commands that we pray. And He's invited us to pray. God has chosen in His plan to use our prayers. Period. He's chosen it. That's why you go to James 5. The prayer of a righteous man, what? Accomplishes much. It accomplishes much. Pray. And, and there are two equally valid principles here. God is sovereign, yet God answers prayers. God is sovereign, and man is responsible for praying. And the answer is this. God is sovereign, and yet prayer does bring about change. I don't know how those two work, and, and I can't put that through my mind in totality, but God says this, I'm sovereign, and yet, Chris, I've asked you to pray. I've commanded you to pray. And we know through our life, God does, even here, God does intervene on the basis of prayer. But again, because He's chosen to use our prayers to accomplish His purposes. And prayer, prayer is a means of us displaying our faith and our dependence on Him. And thus, we bring glory to God when we pray. We're saying, Lord, I'm totally dependent on You. It's in Your hands. Not that it ever wasn't, but You're just acknowledging the reality. So three real practical things here, and we're going to close. Three real practical things. Three ways that God uses prayer that Moses shows us and, and the Word of God shows us. Number one is this. Bring this thing home and land it real quick. Sometimes prayer is the process God uses to change external circumstances. You can go to Acts 12. God uses prayer to change external circumstances. Peter's in jail. They prayed. Peter is released. Accomplished much. Changed external circumstances. It might be the health of a loved one. It might be other things. It might be a job. It might be this. God uses prayers to change external circumstances. Not only that, sometimes prayer is the process God uses to change us. To change us. Sometimes you and I are the ones changed in prayer. Sometimes prayer is what God uses to bring my will and conformity to His will. To reveal to me that maybe what I'm wanting doesn't really line up with what He wants. And I'm the one that needs to change. One of the purposes of prayer, the chief purposes, is the change of our own heart to transform us into His character, to make my wants His wants. And thirdly, and this is where it can get confusing, but thirdly is this, sometimes prayer is the process God uses to change history from our perspective. Sometimes prayer is the process God uses to change history from our perspective. The Lord's purposes, hear me, they never really change. His eternal will will always be the same. God cannot alter. He cannot be altered. That would preclude that He was not perfect. You don't alter that which is perfect. And He's perfect. He doesn't change for the better. He doesn't, because He doesn't need to get better. He doesn't change for the worse because that would be to empty Himself of His greatness. I mean, and, and, but yet sometimes in the Scriptures you will see that man prayed and it says that God relented. And it would appear from our perspective that He changed when the reality is this, is that God uses our prayers. And He knows that. And, and, and again, think of it this way. I'm try, I tried to think of it. 
when we, you're going to go out tonight and you're going to say the sun set. The sun, the sun is moving. Is the reality, is the sun moving? The sun is not moving. You know what's moving? You're moving. And it looks like the sun is moving. The sun does not set. You're not being, and you're not being dishonest or misleading when you say the sun is setting. That's just the best way that you can picture what is happening. And so in the text, if you go back to Exodus 33 and even here, God doesn't do what he intended to do, what he said he was going to do. He answered Moses' prayer, and even in his great grace, he gives them the tablets again that Moses destroyed. And from our perspective, it appears that God changed. Yet we know from Scripture he's immutable. He doesn't change. We moved. People moved. And in his sovereignty, that's where he planned it. I mean, right now we are praying for some serious things on our prayer list at, at Odessa. Should we just sit here and say, well, God's number of their days, you know, God's going to do it? No. You pray. You pray. We plead for God to do something. The reality is, yes, God has numbered our days, but yet he's also told us to pray. And when I take that list every week, and multiple times throughout the week, and I, and I pray through them, you know what God does? He fuels my faith. And when I see God answer those, and Terry Scott gives a great report, and Lee says, gives a great report, and his dad, and, and you come to me and say, hey, God answered this, you know what that does? My faith, it fuels my faith, because guess what? God answered my prayers. Is he sovereign? Absolutely he is. Was he going to do what he was going to do? He's sovereign, and yet he answered my prayers. That fuels my faith. That builds my intimacy with him. I mean, and all illustrations break down, but you do that sometimes with your kids. Sometimes you just want your kids to ask. You know what you're going to do. You just want your kids to ask. It's, 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 it's our way of showing our dependence upon God. That we're in relationship. And, and it's a way of saying it is a privilege to pray. Not only does it increase my faith, it increases my love for the person whom I'm praying for. It increases the intimacy and the fellowship of a church, knowing that we're praying for one another, we got each other's back. You see all the things that God does, and is He sovereign? Yes, and yet He chooses to use prayers to accomplish much. There's no reason we shouldn't be a praying people. I mean, the question becomes this, why wouldn't we pray? He's invited us to pray. Why wouldn't we pray? Because we're not willing sometimes, and we lack love. And we have a misunderstanding of the character of God at times. From our perspective, the prayer of Moses brought about the change in the mind of God. Yet God doesn't change. From his perspective, he sees everything past and future all at one time. He doesn't change. It is a good thing that God is sovereign, and yet in his sovereignty, he has asked us to pray. So pray. And pray with great boldness. And pray with great expectancy. And take advantage of the privilege of prayer, even for those whom we're not willing or wanting or think that they deserve it, pray. Because it may be that God wants to change us more than anything through our prayers.